this is it. This is the cold open. Because <laughs> someone is going to have to edit this. <laughs> and it's knowing it's 16 pages. You know what? I don't want to fucking waste the time. So I'm Beth Ann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haunt you. Let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this bad? We're on page one, guys. This is She Will Rock You. Good God, that was the shortest opening we've ever had. Ten seconds. Ten seconds. Um. So, yes, we're just going to jump into shit today because I wrote 16 pages. Yay. Bethann is thrilled to edit this. Um, hopefully it's less chaotic than the last hey, one. I got martini glass right next to me. She is bonking you with that cone. She really is. Uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode, Mia is with us tonight on the couch and she has a cone on her head and she is not graceful with it at all. <laughs> we had to, we stopped our recording like two or three times for the Nina one because she kept bonking into the door with her <laughs> cone. And so we finally just brought her down and even then she just bonking all over. And she was trying to scratch her ear through her cone and didn't comprehend that her oh. foot was not hitting her Poor baby. ear. Anyway. This is a big one. When we when we started this podcast three years ago, we made mm-hmm. a list of like artists we want to cover. Right. And Elvis was on that list. And until now, it's been a, a topic too big to broach. But let us let us step back for a second. The year is 2002, 2002, and nine-year-old Leah has an obsession. That obsession is the movie Lilo and Stitch. Mm-hmm. For like an entire year. This is all coming together. That movie was my personality. I wanted to learn to surf. I wanted to visit Hawaii. I wanted to adopt a blue alien. You know, all the things. Um, I listened to that soundtrack so much that I'm surprised my CD still plays today. And if you are familiar with that movie at all, you know the entire soundtrack revolves around one artist, and that is Elvis Presley. Um, so honestly, that summer really just set the tone for my entire life, because I find an artist, I'm absolutely fucking obsessed with them for a very, very long while, and then it just becomes part of me. Um, and like I said, Elvis has been on the list for a while, but it's kind of scared me because there is so much to cover mm-hmm. this outline is the longest one i've ever written by like five pages but there's also like very sensitive spots that i'm not sure i will ever handle correctly so we're just gonna gonna bite the bullet me is ready uh so fast forward to this year 2022 if you're listening in the future um baz Luhrmann's elvis just came out i went opening night and once again, I fell in love with the movie and made it my entire personality. <laughs> As you do. So You're on a three-week rotation right around. <laughs> the time is here. We are talking about Elvis. Um, uh, so and it's, it's been a while since we like really emphasized this point. There is no way in hell I can cover everything about Elvis. Like That Wikipedia page is the longest Wikipedia page I've ever seen in my entire life. If you printed that thing, it's probably 30 pages. Mm. It is so long. It took me four days to like read through it and like sift through the appropriate parts. Um, So this is the Taco Bell snack size version. If you want to learn more, there's there's the Internet. Go go to the Internet. (laughs) Literally type in E L 
on Google and it will finish it Probably. for you with Elvis Presley. Um, also, this episode goes out to my papa because his entire life he always called Elvis Evelis. Evelis. And so it's a running joke in my family. That's cute. Um, uh, trigger warning for pr- pretty much everything. We're going to talk about pedophilia. Not Ooh. really. Not really, but people, oh, people like to go there. You'll see there's questionable sexual assault maybe there's uh, accusations of racism yeah just also something weird because we always talk about the weird coincidences that happen around us choosing our topics my birthday is march 24th that date comes up a lot in historic things interesting in his story uh and last night i went to go see bye bye birdie which is basically elvis goes into the army the musical so Mm -hmm. it just was weird timing for that to be here so let us let us get started on Elvis. Elvis Aaron Presley was born on January 8th, 1935 in Tupelo, Mississippi to his father, Vernon Elvis. I don't know where the name Elvis comes from. I don't have time for that. And Gladys Presley. They lived in a two room shotgun house that his father built literally just because they were having a kid. He built the house. I don't understand. But you know. so his father's mi- last name is Elvis. No, his middle name. Vernon Elvis Presley. Oh, okay, okay. Now I'm tracking with you. Gladys Presley. Oh, okay. I don't know what her maiden name is. Um, when Elvis was born, he had an identical twin brother named Jesse Garon, G-A-R-O-N. Presley, he was born, Jesse was born first, 35 minutes before, but he was born, stillborn. Mm. Um, because of this, you know, traumatic birth that his mother endured, he and... His mother were very, very close his entire or her entire life, um, like almost a little weirdly close at times. But yeah. I mean, I also can't blame her because she was supposed to have two sons and only went up with one. They did attend a Assembly of God church, which was a predominantly black church where he found his initial musical inspiration. Little white boy in the in the black congregation, mm. just feeling the spirit. Vernon was kind of a shitty father. He would work one job for like a couple weeks and move on to the next. Like he was not a motivated man to go to work. They often relied on help from their neighbors and government food assistance because they they had no money and no steady income. And in 1938, they actually lost their home because Vernon like forged a check um, written by his landowner or his sometimes boss and ended up going to jail for eight months. Great nice dad. job, Vernon. So they have to move in with some relatives for a little while. So around this time, he's in first grade, and he's encouraged to enter a singing contest. Because one day at school, he just impressed his school teacher with the singing of some old country song. Um, the contest was in 1945, and that was his first public appearance. Because we care Aww, about those things, He's Elvis. like the first Walmart yodeling kid. <laughs> he pioneered it he pioneered so that kid could walk he really did elvis elvis ran so that kid could walk yeah um he was 10 at the time there we go i knew there's an agent here somewhere he dressed up as a cowboy (laughs) and he had to stand on a chair to reach the microphone (laughs) because he was so little (laughs) that's so cute he placed fifth Uh, but his his family was like, you know, maybe there's something to this music thing. 
And so a couple months later, they give him his first guitar for his birthday. He really wanted something else. He wanted a bicycle or a rifle. They were like, nah, you get a guitar, son. Um, and he got just like very basic guitar lessons from two of his uncles. The pastor at his church gave him some lessons. Like, you know, kids broke. They can't pay for real lessons. Mm-hmm. But he kind of just taught himself. He said, I took the guitar. I watched people. I learned to play a little bit. But I would never sing in public. I was very shy about it. Oh, how the turntables. So September 1946, he has to go to a new school because, like I said, they move around all the time because dad's not a great provider for his family. He goes to a new school for sixth grade and, like, instantly gets himself branded as a loner. He would bring his guitar to school and just sit there and play it. <laughs> um, he would he would go off by himself during lunch and sit and play his guitar and was teased for being a trashy kid who played hillbilly music. Which is really sad to make his teasing matters worse. But I guess his life better at the time they were living in a predominantly black neighborhood did not go over well at school, did amazing things for his music taste. Um, In high school, he took music class. He only got a C, <laughs> which goes to show that, you know, grades don't matter past no, high school. They do not. His high school music teacher actually told him he had no aptitude for singing. And so he took that personally. And the next day brought in his guitar (laughs) to show her otherwise. I love that. He sang a song that I'm not even going to pretend like I know, but it's called Keep Them Icy Cold Fingers Off Me, (laughs) which was a popular radio hit. And one of his classmates was later interviewed and was like, yeah, the teacher kind of was rude to him, but like she also didn't appreciate his kind of singing. She wanted choir boy singing. Elvis was not that choir boy. No. Well, you want that kid to come in and sing a concerto? Yes, with his guitar. It's <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. Um, so, yeah, this just kind of added to his bullying, and they also bullied him for being a mama's boy, which Aww. he kind of was, but whatever he just i think he just got to the point where he was like you know if kids are gonna make fun of me i'm gonna just do whatever the fuck i want so he's he makes himself stand out more grows out his sideburns starts slicking his hair back with Mm. rose oil and vaseline and at the time they're living in memphis they've they have now moved to memphis he would go to beale street which has you know the world's best blues scene and they had a clothing manufacturer tailor shop thing called the langsky brothers and he just fell in love with these clothes they're like your your flashy suits Mm -hmm. your flashy shoes not what your typical high school junior is wearing to class so he's still like super scared to perform in public other than in front of his music teacher i guess so in order to kind of get over this and maybe maybe test out performing in front of a crowd, he competes in a minstrel show oh. in 1953. Minstrel is in quotes. I don't know why it's in quotes. We're just going to honestly glaze over that effect because I don't have time to focus on it right this second. But he sings a, a popular hit at the time done by Teresa Brewer, Till I Waltz again with you so keep in mind he's he's bullied for being the loner with a guitar mm-hmm. at this point so when he takes the stage at this show a lot of people from his school are there and they see him perform they're like ah oh, the weird kid can sing 
okay. And they started to like kind of leave him alone and just let him do his own thing. Yeah. The bullying kind of stopped. So that that's great. So other than this music class at his school, he never really received any formal music training mm-hmm. and his pastor, his pastor trying to play guitar. Um, and he couldn't read music. So everything that he studied and he played by ear, which I don't know how people do that to begin with, but especially not in, uh, 1953 when you can't just Google shit. Right. <laughs> so his way around that was to just spend all of his free time at record stores because you could put something in the jukebox that was new and listen to it. And he would just sit there and listen to it on repeat until he memorized it and could go mm. play it at home, which is cool. That's really cool. He studied songs of everyone from country music singer Hank Snow to southern gospel singer Jake Hess to Sister Rosetta Tharp. Uh, he really took in all any and all kinds of music that he could get his hands on. So, after he gets his nerves out at this questionable talent show, he decides that he wants to just record something to see what happens. So he stops by the office of Sun Records in August 1953, and he just wanted to like record a 45, basically. He wanted to do one side of My Happiness and the other side, That's When Your Heart Begins, Heartaches Begin. He like later said that he was doing this as a birthday gift for his mother, but some people think, well, he just kind of wanted to know what he sounded like because yeah. he didn't know how to, he couldn't hear himself. Um but if he had wanted to just know what he sounded like, there was a much cheaper alternative. The nearby general store had a recording booth that he could have done that for, but hmm. he went straight to the record label. So, like, there was an ul- ulterior motive. Yeah. Um. Do, do I blame him? No. When he shows up to Sun Records to start this process, uh, the receptionist asked what kind of singer he was, and he just said, I sing all kinds. I don't sound like nobody. He was right. He is correct. Um, nothing really happens off that first demo that he records because it never does, really. Uh, by January 1954, he did go cut a second one at Sun Records. But again, nothing really comes of it. He goes to an f- audition for a vocal quartet, which I picture being a barbershop quartet for some unknown reason. <laughs> Who doesn't want to see Elvis <laughs> Presley in a stripe get up? It's probably not, but that's what I picture. Um, they're called the Songfellows. He did not make it, clearly. And when his father asked what happened, he said, they told me I couldn't sing. So because the singing thing's not really going anywhere, he's got to get a day job. So he takes a job working for the electric company as a truck driver. I don't know how you do that. I feel like you need some basic electrical knowledge. What are you driving in this truck? These are answers I don't have. That's a good question. (laughs) Uh, So he, after he gets this job, he tries out for a different band as a vocalist. And they tell him he's never going to make it. He should stick to truck driving. Oh, jeez. But he's made this contact at at Sun Records. And Sun Records is owned by Sam Phillips. Mm -hmm. And Sam Phillips wants to make money. Don't we all? Um, and so Sun Records predominantly focused on black musicians. But because the year is 1954, black musicians do not sell records. So Sam has been looking for someone who could appeal to those who like the sound of black musicians, 
but was white, so they would actually buy the music. Because he, I mean, they mm. were getting ready to go broke. Sun Records had no money. Um, again, that's not, that's a, that's just a rabbit hole we don't have time to go down today because we have 16 pages to get through. So long story short, Sam invites Elvis, a guitarist named Winfield Scotty Moore. I don't Great know name. how you get Scotty out of Winfield, but whatever. And upright bass player Bill Black to come to his studio to just like throw out some ideas to see if he can get the sound that he's been looking for for forever. So they have this recording session on July 5th and they stay there for hours recording things. Nothing's clicking. Sam's annoyed. Everyone's tired. It's like, I don't know, it just is late in the night. So I'm going to picture it's two o'clock in the morning. Everyone's grumpy. They're about to go home and Elvis just takes his guitar and launches into a cover of the 1946 blues number that's all right and like the rest is history uh the guitarist what was his name scotty moore says all of a sudden elvis just started singing the song jumping around and acting like a fool then bill picks up his bass he started acting like a fool too so i just started playing with him Sam, I think, had the door in the control booth open and he stuck his head out and said, what are y'all doing? (laughs) And we said, we don't know. And he goes, well, back up. I'm trying to find a place to start. Do it again. (laughs) And so they taped it and like everything clicked. That was the sound he'd been looking for for years. So uh, I do not understand how quickly things are turned around in the 50s because three days later, they send the single to a radio. Wow. Three days later. Uh, they give it to Memphis DJ Dewey Phillips, and he plays it on the Red Hot and Blue Show. I hate that name. <laughs> so corny. Um, and immediately, listeners start calling in, and they're like, who is that guy? We need more of that guy. Please play that song again. He played the song pretty much repeatedly for the next two hours. Jeez. Because everyone was so obsessed. Um, and everyone was confused because they'd never heard this before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess later, not that same show, he has Elvis on the air and he, Phillips kept having to ask him what high school he went to because many of the callers were assuming that he was black and if they were black, if he was black, they weren't going to like him because mm-hmm. he went to the quote right high school. They were like, oh yeah, this kid's cool. Jeez. Tennessee. People's brains are broken. Tennessee in 1953. So the three of them go in their first stage appearance on July 17th. They just recorded this song July 4th. July 5th. July 4th. July 4th. 5th. Very patriotic of them. Um, They play at a club I'm guessing in Memphis. Um, And at this point Elvis is still playing his baby guitar. Like it is a kid. The one he's had since he was a kid. <laughs> yes. Oh. I think it's a half size guitar. Yeah. He's little. Uh, but he has no money to buy a new one. Right. So he just keeps playing this one. At the end of the month, he they've played a couple more gigs. They go to the Overton Park shell, which is like, you know, one of those band shells mm-hmm. type things. Um, and this is where Elvis debuts the infamous rubber legs, which everyone knows what the rubber legs are. You've seen clips of Elvis. Um, this was kind of born by accident because he was so nervous. He just started like wiggling around, um, just to like shake out those nerves and the way that his pants were, cause he had the, he has his wide leg pants. Yeah. 
but he just did it out of nerves and girls just started losing their minds they just start screaming and he was like we can work with this yeah no kidding um i'll save that thought for later so soon after his bassist and guitarist leave their old band because they're like this is a much better gig and they start playing with him and for a very short time bob neal who was a one of the djs that helped them get like early success becomes their manager he does not stay manager for long Maybe things would have been different if he did. I don't know. There's a multiverse out there somewhere. Parallel universe. Where Bob Neal. The the Elvis Presley cinematic universe. (laughs) Hey, that's a thing. (laughs) We're going to get there. So from August through October, keep in mind, they just recorded their first song July 5th. They play frequently at like different clubs around uh, Memphis. They return to Sun Studio for more recording session. And Elvis very quickly figures out what drives girls nuts on stage. Them legs. Them legs. Um, According to... I'm forgetting the guitarist's name. I just know his last name is Moore. So, according to the guitarist, his movement was a natural thing, but he was also very conscious of what got a reaction. He'd do something one time and then expand on it real quick to see if it could get a bigger reaction the next time. Uh... That October, he made what would be his only appearance on the Grand Ole Opry stage. Really? Which is fascinating to me. Um, After, like, the audience was nice. The show went over fine. But Grand Ole Opry manager Jim Denny told Elvis that, like, it wasn't bad, but he just didn't suit the program, which, yes, but no. Mm -hmm. Yes, but no. In November 1954... They played on the Louisiana Hayride, which is what was at the time the Grand Ole Opry's like rival show. These two are going neck and neck every week for ratings. The it's a smaller broadcast, I think, but they still target mm-hmm. audiences. Whatever, y'all don't care. Um, so it's broadcast to 198 radio stations in 28 states, and soon after Louisiana Hayride. Like, cut up a check for a year's worth of Saturday night appearances. Holy shit. So, he's like, yes. So, he trades in his old guitar for $8. Oh. Which they, the pawn shop or whatever, immediately threw away. No. And I bet they regret that every day until they died. Um, And purchased a new Martin guitar for $175, which is equivalent to $1,800 in 2021. So, he... He really upgraded his guitar. Yeah. Man, I wish you would have kept it for sentimental reasons. I know. It was not worth that $8, Elvis. Yeah. You could have kept it. So they start playing in new venues. They get to travel outside of Memphis now. They're playing in Houston, Texas, and my favorite city name ever, Texarkana, Arkansas. Texarkana. <laughs> I'm convinced it's not a real place, but... <laughs> um. And I already said that. He made his first appearance on the Hayride. So he does this for most of 1955. He's appearing there every Friday. He's constant Saturday. Constantly touring. He's like pretty much a celebrity from Mm -hmm. Tennessee to West Texas. And January, what year are we in? 1955. Neil steps down from being a manager and Colonel Tom Parker becomes his manager. 
Colonel Tom Parker is considered the best in the business. He was a manager of Hank Snow at the time. But all I'm going to say right now is fuck this guy. Yeah, we don't like him. Fuck this guy. So by August, so we are now a year and one month from his first recording. Mm-hmm. The Sun has released, or Sun Records has released 10 sides. So I guess five 45s mm-hmm. credited to Elvis. And they finally were like, let's add a drummer. We got <laughs> money now. We can afford to pay a drummer. Yeah. But no one really knows what to do with him for radio, radio play. He's blending too many styles. So, like, the country music DJs aren't going to play it because it's too black. None of the R&B stations will play him because he sounds too much like a hillbilly. Mm-hmm. So, this coins the term rockabilly. There it is. There it is. At the country music, the country music disc jockey convention in early November... Elvis Presley was voted the year's most promising male artist, despite not actually being played on radio. Take that, country. <laughs> so, at this point... where are you at? I bet they... Actually, I don't think they ever played Elvis as when I listened to them, so never mind. Um, because of this, suddenly, several record companies are like, hey, we, w- we want him. That guy's ma- going to make us money. And so three major record labels give him an offer of up to $25,000. Holy shit. Which is a lot in 1955 money. But Colonel Parker and Sam Phillips struck up a deal with RCA Victor. It like worked out for everyone. Sam Phillips got money from like the contract buyout. Elvis got a lot of money. Um, The contract was an unprecedented $40,000. Unbelievable. The man has not cut a full-length record yet. He's only been recording music for a year and, and a month. Yeah, that that is crazy. It's crazy. Sure. Uh, at this point, Elvis is 20 and is still considered a minor somehow. I I don't know how, but because he is a minor, his father has to sign his contract. Vernon? Yes, Vernon. It is at this point that Vernon kind of enters the scene as... Elvis's money manager, which I don't know why the hell he did that. That's a bad move. The man wrote a bad check. <laughs> don't give him your yeah. money. Uh, it does not end well. Anyway. So Colonel Parker arranges with the owners of Hill and Range Publishing to create two entities, Elvis Presley Music and Gladys Music, named after his mother, to handle all this new material. Um, going forward from this point, Songwriters were obligated to forego one-third of their royalties in exchange for having the privilege of Elvis perform their songs. Okay, that's stupid. That's just dumb. Colonel Parker is the greatest motherfucker on this f- side of the... in the world. We I will see that, that later. He, he made deals that he had no business making. Yeah. So, Elvis is now a signed man. On January 10th, 1956... He cuts his first records for RCA Victor. And out of this very first session, we get Heartbreak Hotel. Damn. Released as a single. He records on January 10th. They release it on the 27th. That's such a fast track. I do not understand. I get that they were doing like way less production because what what could you do? You're not recording digitally. You're not even recording on tape at this point. But like, how? It's mind boggling. Also, the fact that it sells thir- 300,000 copies in its first three weeks. Holy shit. Is insane. I don't know how they made them in 17 days, but they did. It In March, so two months later, 
on March 23rd, he releases his self-titled debut album. They kind of just piece this together with some unreleased Sun recordings, so mm-hmm. it was kind of cheating. But they did record seven new tracks, um, and they're all over the place in like genre. There's two country songs, a bouncy pop tune, there's Heartbreak Hotel, but also Blue Suede Shoes is on this album. Hmm. So like, it's got a lot going on. So there were a bunch of different genres on this album, and this is kind of the album that defines... The way I don't know how to say this, but the way this rock and roll is moving. Yeah. It hasn't it didn't birth rock and roll. But there's a shift. You're no longer sock hopping. Right. We are now rock and rolling. Right. For lack of a better term. Some of these are covers, like Blue Suede Shoes is a cover. Um, but Elvis really kicked it up a notch. He'd been covering it on stage for a while. Um and the thing that Elvis did differently when he covers these songs is he's covering black songs. But unlike many white artists who would cover these songs, he's not watering them down and making them like these shiny, squeaky clean things. He's making he's keeping mm-hmm. that like gritty integrity of the way they're written and the way that the original artist performed them and just adding his flair on them. So this becomes the first rock and roll album ever to top the Billboard chart where it stayed for 10 weeks. Oh, nice. Uh, and he's not like the best guitarist in the world. He's not Chuck Berry. But he that album art of him with his guitar, you, you know what I'm talking about because The Clash duplicated it. It just becomes this iconic image that centers the guitar in rock and roll history. Yeah. Because it wasn't, if you think rock and roll, now you think guitar. Mm-hmm. We weren't doing that back in the... We had uh, Jerry Lee Lewis on piano. Like, right. It wasn't a given. Elvis made it a given. All this dancing around of the last four bullet points is really coming to the elephant in the room here of, did Elvis steal black music? So the simple answer is, it kind of depends on who you ask and what sources you're looking at and the underlying motivation of those sources. Uh, there are entire books written saying, yes, he stole it. But there's also entire books written saying, no, he didn't. Uh, so, like, I could literally make an entire episode about this, but let me just present you with some information. B.B. King says, I don't think Elvis ripped him off. I think once someone has been exposed, anyone can take or add anything from any music that they like. He was just so great, so popular, and so hot that anything he became played a hit. To me, they didn't make a mistake when they called him the king. Uh, A lot of people accuse Elvis of stealing the music when, in fact, every black solo entertainer copied their stage mannerisms from Elvis. So the exchange went both ways. Um, Yeah. You got to think about when Elvis was making music. It is 1955-ish. He is always giving credit to the black community when he's interviewed, even as early as 1955. Right. But immediately the media is like, Let's just let's just let's not just pretend not, he said yeah. that. Let's just talk about Elvis. And they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to give credit where credit is due. Um, and if you have paid attention to any of the episodes, songs bounced around on artists a lot. Like record yeah. labels did not want to pay songwriters to keep writing eight million hits like they do now. They're gonna take one song and they're gonna give it to one person. If they don't make it a hit, they're gonna give it to another person. If they don't do a lot of sales, a third person's gonna get it. They're just gonna mm-hmm. keep bouncing that song down the line. 
until someone makes the money because that's all they care about. Right. And that kind of happened here. It also reminds me when we were when we had um, Quan and Thomas on the podcast. We did a couple episodes with them. They're really good friends of ours. Um, Quan brought up a good point when we were talking about like the history of black music that and in regards to today's audience of like the Sam Smiths of the world that are, you know, pulling soul element, which is, you know, birth and black culture. He brings up always a good point. There's honoring. Mm hmm black and giving credit where credit's due yes and then there's appropriating yes and as far as i can tell elvis never once was like i wrote this right i came up with this no he very clearly tried to give credit where credit was due yeah but america didn't want to listen it also depends on the artist itself yes because a lot of artists during the 50s especially with the black community wanted to see that music yes come forward and i think today the discussion has changed a bit because we have seen appropriating we've seen it get on the precipice right and yes. become integrated in culture that style of music and then all of a sudden it gets appropriated yes so the conversation is different today than what would have been had in the 1950s yes. we have so much hindsight White people were not just walking on a Beale Street to go check out a nightclub. Like, yeah. that was not happening. Now it would happen, and now we look back and we're like, I can't believe white people didn't do that. No, they would not be, they would not have done that. Right. Elvis doing what he did really paved the way to America recepting more of that black Yeah, music. and at the end of the day, he was giving credit to that community. Yes. And ultimately, the black community has to be the definitive voice in that discussion. Yes. My opinions on this doesn't matter but i always do respect an artist that lifts up the black community when they know that's where their roots come from yes and when the artists who he supposedly ripped off are like no he was fine like yeah then then he was he was fine anyway so we could not continue this conversation without that so that's an important point that is an important point so at this point in his career he has one album he plays a two-week stint in vegas and it goes not so great but while he's there he makes some contacts in the movie business blue hawaii coming up he signs a seven-year contract with paramount pictures he's had no acting experience but he's elvis so he 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 is his own character he gets a shoe in um and he he really really did want to be a serious actor like like really bad unfortunately as we will see, that does not play out for him. But he goes on a little tour of the Midwest. He, there on in the Midwest, here's a cover of Hound Dog, which was originally sung by Big Mama Thornton. And he was like, I like that song. I'm going to start adding it in my set. And so it becomes a new closing number of his act. Pin that for a minute. This is when... Things start to get really, really crazy on the anti-Elvis train. So he's playing a show in Wisconsin. Just follow this thought process okay. for a second, because this is a very wild sentence. He's playing a show in Wisconsin, and an urgent message on the letterhead of the local Catholic diocese was sent to the FBI. <laughs> I love this sentence. That's an amazing sentence. (laughs) What is currently directed by J. Edgar Hoover. 
And they warn the FBI that Presley is a definite danger to security of the United States. Amazing. His actions and motions were such as to arouse the sexual passions of the teenaged youth. Oh, gee. <laughs> After the show, more than 1,000 teenagers tried to gang into Presley's room at the auditorium. Indication <laughs> Indications of the harm that Presley did in lacrosse, which is the city, were that two high school girls, and then there's like a redacted sentence, whose abdomen and thigh had Presley's autograph. <laughs> he signed his stomach and had set the Catholics into a tizzy. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like throwing the Catholic church into a frenzy over a signed abdomen. To where they have to alert the FBI. <laughs> I literally had to read that sentence like four times when I when I was reading it because I was like, "What is the redacted sentence?" Is why I want to know. I don't know. know. Local Catholic diocese letterhead goes to the FBI because Elvis is signing stomachs. Anyway, so this raises a question of: Was Elvis the first victim of cancel culture? (laughs) A lot of topics to be discussed. Hot topics. Hot topics. Um, To which I have to say yes. Because you have churches having burn parties for his albums. Damn. They're like, they're burning them. They're collecting them in fields and then running them over the cars. You all know he's in Assemblies of God Brethren, right? No. That they're completely ignoring this fact. <laughs> he <laughs> you, is not, you realize he's anointed in the Holy Spirit. You know that, right? He has not released his gospel album yet. So he's clearly a sinner. Um, like parents are banning their kids from listening to it if it's playing on the radio people are turning their radio off because they don't want their kids to hear it because you know it sends them into a tizzy the tizzy the teenage tizzy it just gets it gets really bad and really ridiculous because he's not like out here saying like fuck the police yeah he's out here saying you ain't nothing but a hound dog (laughs) like (laughs) did we overreact yes I'm going to stand by that Elvis was the first victim of cancel culture. You're probably on to something there. <laughs> so, so speaking of Hound Dog, let's go back to that point. He this is about you, Mia. goes up. on the Milton Berle show f- for the second time in his career. And he performs Hound Dog. And so when he's going on TV at this time, there's always a debate of, do we show Elvis's full body? And have girls scream at their TV. And people call it mad at us because we show Elvis gyrating. Or do we just film him from the waist up? And then it's not really a true Elvis show. Like, it's fun, but it's not it's not as fun as it could be. Right. So during this particular performance on the Mil- Milton Burl show, he's performing Hound Dog. And he, like, stops and just starts, like, for lack of a better term, grinding the air. He just starts <laughs> humping the air. And everyone is fucking pissed. <laughs> He's already on thin ice after the Catholic <laughs> incident. <laughs> so the newspapers start referring to him as Elvis the pelvis. <laughs> See, no, that's unfortunate because that's good marketing for him. They didn't know they were doing that. <laughs> to which he said was one of the most childish, childish expressions I've ever heard coming from an adult. <laughs> but... The show drew such high ratings that he gets booked for a bunch more TV appearances. I'm sure he does. 
So he screaming teens equals money. <laughs> if really though, they learned that in the fifties. Sand girls power this economy. So that first was on June fifth. On July first, he goes on NBC's Steve Allen show. Allen really hates rock and roll and does not want this on his show. I'm sure the producers are like, you have to. Yeah. So he tries to introduce a, quote, new Elvis who's wearing a black suit with tails and a white bow tie. <laughs> and they. <laughs> Elvis went for this? Yeah, that's not even the worst part. They had him sing Hound Dog for less than a minute to <laughs> a basset hound wearing a top hat. <laughs> And a bow tie. <laughs> Wait, a real bass in a top hat, a bow tie. I need yes. to see this. It's it's a it's a great picture. I need to look at this right now. Google Elvis Presley bass and hound hound dog, and I bet you'll find it. Elvis Presley hound dog top hat. I see him with some. You found it. <laughs> Look at that little boy. He's he loves being serenaded. He loves being serenaded by Elvis. Look at him. Look uh, at him go. Uh so so uh is that dog wearing a monocle? Yes. Yes. I love he is. that for him. So Steve Allen thought that Elvis Presley was a was talentless and absurd, and so he like set up this whole episode of the show just to like make Elvis really uncomfortable. He also had him appear in a cowboy comedy sketch with himself, Imogen Coco, and Andy Griffith. It's <laughs> so nice. I wrote my notes. Basically, this was 1950s SNL. He hated every second of this appearance, but he played along because he didn't want to do anything to make people not like him. Right. Which is fair, but also, like, stick it to the man, Elvis. You did not need to be singing to a hound dog. I'm sorry, but I am now searching Elvis Presley hound dogs to see more example of hound dogs than Elvis. I, I think that only happened once. Well, no, there's him holding hound dogs. Oh. They're all basset hounds, too, which is a good move. Yes. Basset hounds are cute. So a few days after this humiliation, he has to play an outdoor concert in Memphis, and he kind of just is done, and he says, you know, those people in New York are, gonna, those people in New York are not going to change me none. I'm going to show you what the real Elvis is like tonight and puts on like a fucking amazing show. <laughs> Again with the cancel culture <laughs> in August, he's playing in Jacksonville and a court judge orders him to calm things down. He is ordered through his performance to be still. So Elvis plays the show almost completely still Except he kept wiggling his little finger to, like, mock the judge. And I love that so much. This is America. I thought this was a free country. No, you can't You can't thrust your pelvis at unsuspecting no Catholic Elvis girls. No pelvises? No pelvises. Uh, so Ed Sullivan very famously said that he was unfit for family viewing. But then booked him for three appearances on his show and paid him $50,000 to do so. So who's laughing now, yeah. Ed? The first one on September 9th, 1956 was seen by approximately 60 million viewers, which is 82.6% of the television audience. Oh, wow. And I cannot think of a single thing that would happen today that would make 86% or 82% of Americans watch something. 9-11. 
I don't know if 82% of us were watching TV then. But other than, other than like, <laughs> terrorist <laughs> attacks. I, I just, that was the only thing that came to my head when you said, like, who's watching 9-11? <laughs> I mean, yes, but no. I'm thinking, like, someone going and doing a performance just, on TV. Yeah, fair enough. Um, But, folks, we have it. The moment. The moment that Elvis goes and Ed Sullivan that has launched a million careers on this show. This is rock and roll Genesis. Yes. <laughs> this, the, in the beginning. In the beginning, Elvis was on Ed Sullivan. Yes. Uh, and it was good. Obviously, this inspired, this moment has inspired numerous artists. I think we've cited this performance at least 20 times. At least. And we have 70, this is 75 episodes. So. Yeah. It's come up a lot. Uh, he performed two songs on this first appearance and they tried really, really hard to cut out his his thrusting and gyrations. But uh, this, uh, the in-studio audience kept screaming <laughs> and giving it away, <laughs> which I just think is hilarious. I mean, you kind of only see the top half and you're going to see this move. Yeah, he's, he's still moving. You're going to see it. And as there's an outward diagonal length, and you hear the screaming. I mean, it kind of counterproductive. The, the mind is a very powerful tool, <laughs> folks. You're not hiding anything. Uh, he also performs his upcoming single, Love Me Tender, That's which we all know. Um, and because he debuted this on Ed Sullivan, he got a record-shattering million, million advanced orders Jeez. for this single. Which is more than any other single event. Oh, wait. So, sorry. This appearance, more than any other single event in his career, was what launched Elvis into the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. Like, no, literally no one had been this famous before. No. No one. So, the world's first superstar is born. Well, I mean, Beethoven was pretty popular during his day. But what did he look like? We don't know. People were we not, people were not thrusting themselves at, at Beethoven in the streets. You don't know that. <laughs> Okay, that's just a side tangent of uh, on this day, Wednesday, July 27th, there's all these videos circulating of a festival this weekend where the symphony orchestra was playing and people were moshing. And all the comments are like, I bet Beethoven shows were this lit back in the day. God bless America. I sent you one of the videos. You can watch it. Yes. You need to watch it. Where'd you send it on? TikTok. Okay. Uh, God bless this country, man. (laughs) Sometimes I lose face in this country. Then I I hear statements like that. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, so, in this moment, Elvis, more than anyone else up until this point, gave the young people in America a belief in themselves and somehow unified an entire generation. They were the first in America to ever feel the power of a, quote, youth culture, which I think is cool. Like, mm-hmm. youth didn't have a culture until Elvis came along. Yeah. You were just listening to the same music your parents were listening to. You were putting on orchestra pieces. Yes. And reading a book. Yes. And then the gyration started. And and all it all went downhill from there. And the skirts got shorter from there. Uh, so because of, of all this fame and insanity, his live shows obviously got really insane. To the point where at certain shows, they would have to have up to 50 National Guardsmen on security to ensure that the crowd would not like cause any lasting property damage. Jeez. In September 1956, uh, his birth town of Tupelo, Mississippi, declared Elvis Presley Day. So he and his parents went and, like, 
Got to ride in the little That's parade cute. car and, and just be honored. Um, so if you listen to our KISS episode, you may remember that KISS is very into merchandising. Well, they learned it all from Elvis. By fall of 1956, you could buy Elvis hats, t-shirts, jeans, kerchiefs, sneakers, shoes, blouses, belts, purses, billfolds, wallets, charm bracelets, necklaces, magazines, gloves, bookends, a statue of Elvis, lipstick, cologne, stuffed hound dogs, stationery, sweaters, crockery, and more. Elvis and the Colonel, like, invented celebrity merchandising, and by that, just... December, so they launch all this stuff in September. Elvis merchandise has grossed $22 million in sales. I bet you there's a collector out there. Oh, there who is. Owns one of each. That that early Elvis merch. Yeah, I'm literally looking up early Elvis merch now. It's big money. Keep me always on your lips. Elvis Presley lipstick. Hey. You know the girls going nuts over that. I would have worn it. <clears throat> we were only halfway through this outline. So Woo. that October, he starts his first major film role in Love Me Tender. He did not receive top billing because he's still very new on the scene. He just hit like global icon status. Mm-hmm. Uh, that went to the Reno Brothers. But this movie was supposed to be a straight acting role. And they're like, Elvis can sing. It's a musical now. Yep. And so they made it. They added four musical numbers. They... The critics liked this movie. It didn't do well at the box office, but it did ensure that Elvis would receive top billing on every subsequent film that he made. On December 4th, Elvis Presley dropped into Sun Records because he was at home visiting his parents, I think. Um, And Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Johnny Cash just happened to be there. Oh, this is the... This is the Million Dollar Quartet. Oh, nice. So Sam Phillips, bless the man, no longer had the right to release any Elvis Presley recordings, but he knew that what he was witnessing was like magic and never going to happen again. And so he recorded it and he held on to it for 25 years before they released it. And it is now known as the Million Dollar Quartet. Yeah. Which you should listen to because it's a great recording. But also, if you ever have the opportunity to see the stage show... Amazing. It's, it is a very good stage show. Amazing stage show. 1957 is a busy year for Elvis. He's shooting movies. He's recording. He's doing all this kind of stuff. He's 22 at the time. Um, but he's got a lot of money now. So he purchases an 18-room mansion. Of course. Which we know is Graceland. On March 19th, 1957, he pays $102,000 for it. And the plan is literally just for him his parents and his mother's parents to live there. Like, that's all he wanted it for. Mm-hmm. And then things change because on December 20th, he gets his draft notice. Damn government. He is granted a short deferment to finish the movie that he's filming at the time, King Creole, because Paramount had Paramount like petitioned for this, this uh, deferment because they had already invested three hundred fifty. $350,000 into it and they yeah. were like can we just have him for a few more weeks and so on March 24th 1958 Elvis Presley was drafted into the U.S. Army at Fort Smith Arkansas and this was like the biggest media event of the year there's like the famous photo of him getting his hair cut on the yeah. next day 
and he goes right to Fort Hood, Texas for basic training. And this becomes like a big, a big media thing. So Colonel Parker frames it as like, y'all hate Elvis. So let's go let him sit in the army for two years and simmer down. It's kind of his thinking. Like they pre-recorded a bunch of stuff. They release it while he's in the army. But like no one's talking about Elvis the pelvis and his gyrations on his stage show. Yeah. The music's just kind of speaking for itself for two years. And some of that like insane hype kind of burns out over two years. He was in the army for two years? Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine if Harry Styles went in the army for two years? And we never heard from him again? Yeah. <laughs> well, we would hear from him again. He followed the Elvis path. But like. Yeah. He Still. just. Like I understand the, the heartbreak that his fans felt. Right. Anyway, he like does a press conference, says that he is looking forward to his military stint. He didn't want to be treated different from anyone else and that the army can do anything it wants with me. You know, good old American boy stuff. Yeah. That movie he was working on, King Creole, comes out that July. It's considered to be the best of his entire acting career. That's Unfortunately, good. his the rest of his movies don't receive great accolades after this. In August of that year, his mother was diagnosed with hepatitis, and she got really, really bad, really, really fast. Elvis actually gets emergency leave to go visit her. He arrives on Memphis in Memphis on August 12th, and two days later, she dies of heart mm. failure. She's only 46. Oh, that sucks. And he's absolutely devastated and is pretty much never the same after this incident. Yeah. Because it was such a traumatic, sudden death. He didn't have a chance to process it. No. Like, he just thought he was visiting her because she was ill, and then she died. Um, So, obviously, when he goes back, he's distraught and grieving and gets introduced to drugs. Yay! He's introduced to amphetamines by a sergeant and becomes... What the fuck? Yes. He's just passing along amphetamines This for is fun? the army in, the, in 19... What year are we in? 58... Uh, he Elvis became, quote, practically evangelical about their benefits, preaching that they were not only for energy, but for strength and weight loss and convinced many of his friends to indulge in them as well. This is not the last time Elvis will have a drug problem. Mm. So he gets stationed in Friedberg, Germany, and it's here. Elvis is 24. He meets 14 year old Priscilla Ballou. 14-year-old Priscilla. They do get married. Not for seven and a half years. Yes, this is weird. I think it's weird. I didn't know she was She was 14. Years. Holy cow. Yeah, that is weird. No, we don't have time to talk about it because there's still like six pages left. Um, but it's weird. And I'd, I'm going to read Priscilla's book because personally, I want to learn more about this relationship, but I think it's weird. Anyway... Elvis was really concerned that this two-year stint in the army was going to ruin his career, which is a fair concern. Um, but hit management, like I mentioned, was really, really smart mm -hmm. and recorded a bunch of stuff before he went away so they could just kind of like steadily release it over the next two years and keep him top of mind yeah. without all the the thrusting-fueled headlines. Right. Um, they also did what any money-hungry record label would do and released four compilation albums in two years. Which seems excessive, but whatever. He returns to the U.S. for good on March 2nd, 1960, and gets honorably discharged three days later with the rank of sergeant. His time in the army is over. 
A little over two weeks later, on March 20th, he goes to RCA Victor's Nash RCA Victor's Nashville studio to start working on his new album because this is what he's been waiting to do for two years. And they come up with Stuck on You, which gets released like four days later and goes instantly number one because it's Elvis, Elvis is back. That's the name of his next album. Oh, shit. <laughs> he re- finishes recording Elvis is back and it's released on April 8th, 1960. He got home on March 2nd. The amphetamines are still working. Jeez. I, I'm assuming. I'm just assuming he's on drugs at this point forever. Yeah. Um. And so, like, one of the reviews for this album says, Elvis's singing isn't just sexy. It's pornographic, <laughs> which is the best review of an album I've ever seen. I love that. Uh, as, as a whole, the record conjured up the vision of a performer who could be all things. A flirtatious teenage idol with a heart of gold a tempestuous, dangerous lover, a gut-bucket blues singer, a sophisticated nightclub entertainer, and a raucous rocker. It's a lot happening in one album. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reached number two on the album chart, which is very good. So then he enters, we're just going to go rapid fire on a bunch of projects. G.I. Blues, released... He's really cashing in on that army stint. He is. They released G.I. Blues... In October, uh, the soundtrack to the album, the, uh, to the movie, sorry. The movie comes out some point in time. We're not going to talk about it. July 1960, Elvis receives his first degree black belt in karate. Yay. He started nice. karate while in the army. He carried the certificate in his wallet until he died. Aww. Which I think is so cute. But uh, I don't really talk about this later, but he was very into karate. And from this point onward it's kind of part of his stage show he'll just like Hua! and like chop like <laughs> it's just karate in his stage show i don't think i knew that until i did this research he releases his first album of religious material his hand in mine in november this is now three albums in one year a 12 hour recording session in mid-march yields most of his next album something for everybody which came out like two weeks after they were done with that um and literally for the sake of time we're gonna fast forward through the rest of the 60s but here's what you need to know colonel parker books a bunch of really shitty movies they're all the same movie like they follow a very specific formula they're all very mediocre they do not do well in the 1960s alone he made 27 films holy cow 15 of them had soundtracks to accompany them all of them followed the exact same formula of three ballads, one medium tempo, one up tempo, and one blues break. You know, you would think that when it's not working. They were making a fuck ton of money. Oh, okay, never mind. Colonel Parker only cared about the money. Um, as these movies went on, they got progressively worse. Shocking. They got so bad that at times Elvis was embarrassed to show up to record them. Uh, in the first half of the decade, three of these soundtracks went number one on the pop charts, and most uh, like some of these soundtrack songs are his most popular songs, such as "Can't Help Falling in Love," "Return to Sender." Um, "Viva Las Vegas" was actually a B-side and never intended to be hmm. a main track, but uh, it's one of his most popular, I would argue. But for someone who was used to up until this point in his career, everything he touching, everything that he would touch would become like magic and a gold standard he hit a five-year span where like 
things did not go good. He only had one top 10 hit in these five years. His movies sucked. Like, things just were not great. Uh, he did release an LP in this, this time span in 1967. His, his gospel album, How Great Thou Art, How Great Thou Art, which actually won him his first Grammy Award. Oh, how about that? So, that was cool. Shortly before Christmas 1966, seven years since they first met, he proposes to Priscilla. They get married on May 1st, 1967. And... We're going to move into the 70s with the birth of their only child, Lisa, Lisa Marie. Marie. Yeah. She was born February 1st, 1968. And Elvis is just really, really miserable at this point. Like, yes, he's happy. He has his daughter. But his movies are garbage. His heart's not in it. The songs he releases suck. They're not even charting. Um, and the world has changed. Like, the yeah. 60s changed music. They changed pop culture. He helped pave the way for but, like... Well, Woodstock's happening. Yes, Woodstock's happening. In like a year. Yes. Um, But because he was focused on these really shitty movies through the 60s, he kind of becomes irrelevant in the the pop culture music scene, which he doesn't Mm -hmm. take very lightly. Um, So he's super frustrated with his career. He feels like he has lost all of his creativity and artistic expression because everything is so formulaic. He had really wanted to be a serious actor, but like Hollywood and Colonel Parker kind of had other ideas. And so he just kind of like went along with them without really thinking about it. And so he realizes he has to make a change. It's been seven years since he's appeared in front of a live audience. Seven years. It's a long time. And he's missed that. He misses the energy of the, a live show. He misses touring. Um, so he does two things. He does start to abuse prescription drugs. Not a good idea. He's sad. He's still processing, you know, his mother dying and the army trauma. Um, he hires a man called Dr. Nick, which fuck this guy, because uh, it all started. Elvis got really into horse riding. He actually ended up buying like a land extension to Graceland mm-hmm. to put horses on. And he got saddle sores. So he meets up with Dr. Nick and Dr. Nick gives him whatever to get rid of this um and they kind of start this codependent relationship where anytime elvis had any issue he would ask dr nick for something to fix it he would medicate for anything like if he slept funny on his neck he'd be like give me some pills Mm -hmm. and dr nick would oblige which is a really bad doctor that's called malpractice yes um there's actually a quote i put in here that said you know how some people will sneeze and think they need a pill or get a muscle cramp and won't relief or go to the dentist and need a painkiller mm-hmm. and others aren't bothered. Elvis was convinced that he needed drugs for everything. Mm. So at this point, it's not like impeding his lifestyle, but he's going to Dr. Nick for amphetamines, sedatives, barbiturates, like everything. Yeah. Um, but to Elvis, this isn't a problem because they're prescription. They're not illegal drugs. They're not those dirty, nasty yeah. things that other singers are doing. Like, they're fine because the doctor gave them to him. Anyway, so he he meets up with Dr. Nick, but he also gets a deal with NBC that is going to finance this theatrical feature broadcast and a Christmas special. So they record this special in June in Burbank, and it's simply called... Elvis. 
It airs on December 3rd, 1968, but later it becomes known as the 68 Comeback Special. This show has, like, one of the most insane production sets that TV has seen to this point. Um, There's a a live audience, which is his first live performances since 1961. They do these costumes that are similar to what he's wearing in the 50s, but, like, with a little bit of a modern flair, Mm -hmm. and it's cool everything's very reminiscent of his early days um he kind of uses this as an opportunity to like get these years of frustration out he has all this pent-up energy all this anger at how he's been torn through the the movie scene that didn't pay him any respect um and he's pretty much looking sounding and moving better than he ever has Mm. in this special he's 33 at this point and he he's better than everyone in the business and he knows it like, yeah it shows in the special that's weird he's only 33 at this point yes i mean he only lives to be 42 yeah so at the end of the special elvis appears alone wearing a simple white two-piece suit standing in front of these huge letters that spell elvis and he debuts a new song if i can dream which is written specifically for this show um the the song is actually written by his songwriters based on conversations that they had with Elvis about what was happening in the turbulent political scene at the time. Interestingly enough, parallel to Nina Simone's civil rights mm. activism. It's also kind of kind of loosely based on Martin Luther King Jr.'s Have a Dream speech. That show, the 68 Comeback Special, is NBC's highest rated that season which gets 42% of the total viewing audience. Not as much as Ed Sullivan, but we'll take it. Mm-hmm. And after the show, everything changes for Elvis. He starts to get back into his career in music. Like, he starts to feel creatively fulfilled again. The single If I Can Dream ro- immediately rose up into the top 10, uh, fulfilling what he hadn't been able to do for years. He finally was was back in the music scene being able to choose the people, being able to choose what he wanted to work on, the songs he wanted to record, whether or not it was for a soundtrack. Like, someone said he he felt like he was out of prison. So this gives him an ego boost, and he goes back into the studio, and uh, this the album that he releases is called From Elvis in Memphis, and it was his first secular non-soundtrack album in eight years. So he goes back to live shows because this is like his thing. Yeah. His this live is shows. where he finds his, his mojo. joy in life. Yeah. Um, the offers start coming in from all around the world. The London Palladium offers Colonel Parker $28,000 for one week. And he says, well, that's fine. But how much will you pay me for Elvis? He starts trying to drive up these bargain, these deals because he wants to make as much money as possible. Ooh. And he finds this like money flow in Las Vegas. So the brand new International Hotel has just been finished. And it claims that it has the largest showroom in the city. And they book Elvis for a 57 show stint over four weeks. Jeez. Now, Elvis was super... Th- super stoked about this because this is what he wanted to come back to so he ends up hiring most of the team that worked on the comeback special to be part of his vegas team he gets top-notch rock and roll musicians a full orchestra 
a male gospel backup group and an all-black female soul group. Complete side note, one of the female singers is Sissy Houston, which we've talked hmm. about. Just casually Whitney Houston's mom. Yeah. Um, and when it came time for him to debut the show, he took the stage. He needed no introduction because he's Elvis. The 2,200 people in the audience on opening night were mostly celebrities because you had to be there. It was like the yeah. place to be. And they gave him a standing ovation before he even sang a note. <laughs> like he literally stepped out on stage. and I bet you that felt great. They went wild. They gave him a second after he finished and a third after his encore, which was Can't Help Falling in Love. And it was at this press conference after that first show when a journalist first referred to him as the king. Um, like I said, lots of celebrities were in attendance. And so Elvis like pointed over at Fats Domino and was like, no, that's the real king of rock and roll. And they're like, no, 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 <laughs> it's, it's you trust us. And so the next day, our, our enemy, Colonel Parker goes back to the, the hotel people mm-hmm. and results. We were not in the room where it happened. Don't know what happened in this room, but somehow he walks out with a five-year contract for Elvis to play every February and August for a million dollars a year. This is not necessarily what Elvis wants to be doing. Yeah. He wanted to tour the world, but he got stuck in Vegas, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Come back to that thought later. Um, February 1970. I don't know if he's playing in Vegas or somewhere else at this point. He, this is the first, first time he performs in a jumpsuit, that white, the jumpsuit, the jumpsuit, which is wild to me that it took so long to get here. Yeah. But it did. Iconic. Iconic jumpsuit. It's literally what you think of when you think of Elvis. He goes on a 14 date tour in 1970, which uh, ends with an unprecedented four consecutive sold out shows at Madison Square Garden. The evening concert on July 10th was recorded and issued an LP, which I listened to today. It slaps. Um, however, things are not so great in paradise at home. Mm-hmm. Elvis and Priscilla are just like separated. They're not talking to each other. Elvis is having an affair with, with Joyce Bova. Uh, she actually ends up getting pregnant and having an abortion. Oh, I don't, I, I've never known that, so throwing that in there. Uh, he was like, yeah, you can move into Graceland with me. I'm going to leave Priscilla, but I hadn't actually talked to Priscilla about slip, like splitting up, so that's gross. No. They formally separated on February 23rd, 1972, but only because Priscilla let Elvis know that she was having an affair with his karate instructor. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. It is funny. It's it's I don't it's just cuz he's a karate instructor. If he was the costume designer, it wouldn't be as funny. Yeah. Um and it's it's at this point that Priscilla has recounted that when she told him that, Elvis grabbed her and basically raped her, declaring that this is how a real man makes love to his woman. Ooh. So yeah, that's problematic. Don't like that at all. Elvis is also very unstable at this point in his life. Does not excuse it at all. We're team Priscilla here. Um, Basically, this is where his life starts falling apart. It was a blow from which he never recovered, this divorce. Um, But his professional life is making him lots of money. 
In January 1973, he performs two benefit concerts in Hawaii for the Kui Lee Cancer Fund, um, which is where Elvis invented live stream concerts before live stream concerts How existed. How did that happen? So it was all Colonel Parker's idea, because why would it not be? They broadcast it by satellite to TVs. So basically oh. what happened is the night before like the main show, they did a practice run and they only aired it to select like a small radius in Asia outside of mm-hmm. Hawaii. And um, just to kind of work out any technical kinks, because literally no one had done this before. Yeah. But on January 15th, it was simulcast to 28 European countries. Um, the U.S. did get it on delay. They didn't get it till April, which is weird, but whatever. Uh, it did get a 57% share of the TV audience, though. So oh, that's cool. Worked out. For those who actually wanted to go in person, audience tickets were actually free, but you were asked to pay whatever you can because it was a, a fundraiser for a Hawaiian composer who had died of cancer while he was in his 30s. And the benefit, like the physical benefit, wound mm-hmm. up raising $75,000, which is pretty, pretty cool. Great. Over time, Colonel Parker would claim that this show was seen by 1 billion people. Wow. But people think he made that number up because nothing really backs it up. Probably. He also had a history of lying, so... But the soundtrack for this is released. It goes to number one, and it stays there for 52 weeks. So it does really, really well. And this was one, like... This is basically his last big stage costume. Um, It's kind of the one that gets caricatured a lot when you do those exaggerations of Elvis. It's the one with the white jumpsuit. And the cape. And and the the American Eagle cape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) When he stretches his arms out, it's got, like, the wings of an eagle on the back of his jumpsuit. So, now let us talk about why we hate Colonel Tom Parker. So go back to when he became Elvis's manager. He had an exceptionally tight control over Elvis's career. By 1967, the contracts that Parker was writing were giving him 50% of Elvis's earnings. 50%. That's way too many. From recordings, films, and merchandise. No. Beginning in February 1972, he also took a third of the profit from the live appearances. But by January 1976, he had upped that to half. That's ridiculous. He's doing nothing. No, he's literally doing nothing. He's ruining Elvis's career. Yeah. Um, Priscilla said that Elvis just really hated the business side of stuff and would sign contracts without reading them. Idiot. So that was dumb. Um, And... You may have been listening to this and being like, wow, Elvis never performed out of the U.S. Yes, he performed three venues outside the U.S. All of them were in Canada, all of them in 1957. He really wanted to play overseas. Like, that's why you become famous is to go travel the world and play. And, like, rumors would always start that he was going overseas. Um, At one point, he got a million-dollar bid for an Australian tour. But Colonel Parker kept making up excuses of why they couldn't go. So it all comes to light after Elvis eventually dies. Spoiler. Um, 
Colonel Parker was actually born Andreas Cornelius van Kuyk in the Netherlands. He came to the U.S. illegally and had a fear that if he left the country, he would not be allowed back in. Idiot. So he ultimately just like nixed any inkling of Elvis going That's abroad. That's not fair. He kept telling Elvis it was because they can't provide as good of security as I can for you in the U.S. Right. He signed him on to this. He basically screwed over what he wanted to do. Yes, he did. And he took all the money in the process. Also, Elvis's dad is managing his finances. Not good at it. No. At all. Um, he basically can't get out of his contract with Colonel Parker because Colonel Parker wants him to pay back all this money that he owes him for like random things throughout the years and Elvis can't afford it. So he's locked into this agreement until he That's dies. That's stupid. So fuck Colonel Tom Parker. Um, he actually had the tightest control because the other control wasn't bad enough. Uh, with his film career, which I believe is why his film career never took off, because mm-hmm. Colonel Parker just went where the money was, yeah, and not where serious roles could have been. Uh, one of the film producers who worked with him at the time described him as the biggest con artist in the world. Mm. Elvis was getting really, really good offers. He got offered um, a starring role in West Side Story. Oh, yeah, that's true. And in Midnight Cowboy. And Barbara Streisand actually personally asked Elvis to star in A Star is Born with her. But Colonel Parker would just make such ridiculous negotiations or demands that mm-hmm. no one wanted to deal with him. So they just stopped asking. Jeez. Which was really shitty. Just killed his own career and what he wanted to do. Yes. Yes. Which is an interesting take. S- small spoiler for the Boz Lerman film. Uh, it's from the perspective of Colonel, Colonel Tom Parker. Mm. I've never hated Tom Hanks more. I didn't mm. know it was possible to hate Tom Hanks. Uh, great perspective for a movie, though. Some people hate it. I loved it. Anyway, let's go back to Elvis. His divorce is finalized on October 9th, 1973. And by then, he's just like not doing great at all. Twice during this year, he overdoses on barbiturates. He ends up spending three days in a coma in a hotel. Jeez. I don't know why they didn't take him to the hospital. It seems like a very bad decision. Yeah. No kidding. Whatever. Towards the end of the year, he is hospitalized in a semi-comatose state from the effects of his prescription drug addiction. In 1973, he played 168 shows, which is his busiest ever. There's only 52 weeks in a year. Yeah. So even if you only did two a week, that's still over two a week. And you know he wasn't doing two a week. Uh, 1974 was planned to actually beat that, like have more shows. He starts showing up to gigs super drugged up and everyone knows something is wrong. He's slurring. He's stumbling. He's just, he can't stand up. He's got to sit down. Yeah. He's super bloated. Uh, people are like, yo, you need to take a break. Cancel your tour. Take a year off. Take a nap. Right. Like... Calm the fuck down. Um, but RCA... Oh, not not but. RCA, who's always like... Elvis has been cranking out studio stuff for years. Right. He stops having any interest in going to the studio. They're like, uh, we want to make money. Please come record something. Right. No interest. He does buy a jet in 1975. Which I only put in here because he names it the Lisa Marie... Cute. Which is cute. Um, 
And all this just kind of continues for the next couple of years. Jumping to 1977, uh, he become he become like unrecognizable. He had no energy. He just would like stare off into space, blank. He was really overweight. He was just popping handfuls of pills that he may not even have known what he was taking at this point. Uh, and when he wasn't on stage, he pretty much lived in a hotel room because he just stayed in Vegas most of the time. Yeah. And he would just take drugs, stare at the wall. And study spirituality books, hmm. which only made him more paranoid. Yeah, that can't exactly help on drugs. There is definitely some underlying mental illness, in my opinion. The drugs were not helping. Neither was the spirituality books. Yeah. On the evening of August 16th, 1977, he was scheduled to fly out of Memphis to start another tour. That afternoon, his girlfriend, Ginger Alden, discovered him in an unresponsive state on the bathroom floor of Graceland. They tried to revive him, but unfortunately, he was pronounced dead at the hospital at 3.30 p.m. He was only 42 years old. Jeez. His All from drugs. Well, his ofi- that's the next point is his official cause of death is listed as cardiac arrest, which is most likely caused by his drugs, but he didn't overdose. He died of a heart attack. Could have been there have been three separate autopsies confirming this. Yeah. Because people have tried to charge Dr. Nick with like malpractice. Yeah. But they can't prove that the drugs are what killed him. Right. A, a Could heart just be attack over him. time. Yes. The heart gives out. It was very much abused by all these drugs he had taken. Um, This obviously sent the public into a mass mourning. President Jimmy Carter issued a statement They credited Elvis Presley with having permanently changed the face of American pop culture. On the day of his funeral, thousands of people gathered outside of Graceland. Uh, Fun, not fun. I'm not going to say fun because he died, but fun fact about that day in history. My mom was five Mm -hmm. and they were at Bush Gardens. And for some unknown reason, pre-internet, they decided to announce that Elvis had died over the loudspeaker. Okay, this is a thing. Yes. It so my mom, whenever they landed on the moon, she was at a r- little park in Lake George and she was at the top of this little like it was going all the way up to the top and they stopped the ride because they landed on the moon and my grandmother's freaking out because like they stopped the ride at the very top for 5 minutes. They could have waited till they got to the bottom to tell them no they literally just like hey we landed on the moon and now we're going to take five minutes and pause every ride so we can hear the trans the uh the guy speaking from space that's so dumb yeah yeah she said they announced it over the loudspeaker and immediately women just started falling to the ground sobbing and she said that she remembers one lady in particular was hugging this huge rock just like ugly crying oh jeez like, flying um core memory there he was elvis was buried in forest hill cemetery next to his mother that's just sweet so let us talk about his enduring legacy which probably needs no real introduction but i'm gonna throw some fast facts at you anyway graceland was opened to the public in 1982 and attracts over half a million visitors annually and it is the second most visited home in the united states after the white house It was declared a National Historic Landmark in 2006. Hopefully, I'm going to get to see it next year. Fingers crossed. Mm, that'd be cool. Elvis has been inducted into 
five music halls of fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Country Music Hall of Fame, the Gospel Music Hall of Fame, the Rockabilly Hall of Fame, and the Memphis Music Hall of Fame. In 1984, he received the W.C. Handy Award from the Blues Foundation and the Academy of Country Music's first Golden Hat Award. In 1984, Elvis's record sales, in, which covers vinyl, cassette, CD, and it says digital. I don't know what mm-hmm. digital we were doing in 1984, but whatever. This came from Graceland's website. So I'm going to trust them. They top one billion units. Mm. In 2011, Elvis receives the first ever diamond certification from the RCAA for the 1970 Elvis Christmas album. Like I said, in 2002, Baz Luhrmann releases the film Elvis, which is an amazing musical biographical film about his life. Um, in Elvis's lifetime, he starred in 33 total films, made history with his television appearances and specials, and knew great acclaim through many of his record-breaking live concert performances and his time in Las Vegas. Uh, he's had 149 songs appear on the Billboard Hot 100 pop chart. Mm. Of these, 114 were top 40, 40 were top 10, and 18 were number one. His number one singles have spent a total of 80 weeks at number one. More than 90 of his records have reached the charts, with 10 of them reaching number one. These figures are only for the pop charts and only for America. That's crazy. You know other countries go nuts for him. Yeah. He's received 14 Grammy nominations. He won three times. He's been given the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, which he did receive while he was still alive at the age of 36. And in 1970, the Junior Chamber of Commerce named him one of the 10 Outstanding Young Men of the Nation. And this is the stat that just really blows my mind. During his concert years, his prime, from 1969 to 1977, he gave nearly 1,100 performances. That's crazy. Which is insane. Um, now, to end this on a, a lighter note than death, it's conspiracy time. Ooh, I love a good conspiracy. So it's no secret that like, for a very long time, people believe that Elvis was still alive and right. he faked his death to escape his lifestyle. Um, he would very much be dead now. He would be like 110 years old. So like, He's he, dead. He's gone for real. But... I mean, fans were really shocked. He died very suddenly. They were really sad. So, like, they started making up theories. And some of it's interesting. So, one of the main things that people use to, like, bolster this theory is Elvis, when he was born, his middle name is Aaron. And his mom spelled it A-R-O-N. On his headstone, it's spelled A-A-R-O-N. Which some film fans are like... That's a sign that he's not dead. Like, that's a sign that he's... No, someone doesn't know how to spell. That's exactly what it is. So, at one point, he personally wanted to change the way his middle name was spelled to the more common AA way. Mm -hmm. Um, And when he went to go file that with the state, they're like, oh, we already had it that way on your (laughs) birth certificate. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, So, his dad ordered the headstone with the two A spellings. So, not a great, great sign. Another one of the rumors... Is that Elvis faked his death to go into the witness protection program. There is a guy... The FBI finally filed the case. (laughs) The FBI showed up. Uh, 
Someone wrote a book in 1988 called Elvis is Alive. He claims to have reviewed thousands of FBI documents that indicate that Elvis enlisted as an undercover agent for the FBI in order to infiltrate a secret group called the Fraternity. Do you think that man has time to do that? I mean, it might have been an escape, but whatever. Another... I forgot this was in here. Another popular conspiracy theory is that Elvis actually appears as a background actor in Home Alone. Oh, I got to catch up on that one. Um, Just Google it. I guarantee you there's a YouTube cut of it. People think I that need a zoomed in photo of him in a circle. Yeah. So I watched the clip today. It's the scene where Catherine O'Hara is at the ticket agent in the Scranton airport. Yeah. There's like a dude with a beard behind him, behind her. And people are like, that's Elvis, because the way he tilts his head and the way that he looks, uh, to me, it looks more like Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> but okay. Uh, there's also theories that he was a groundskeeper at Graceland, or that he became a pastor in Arkansas and changed his name to Bob Joyce. Hmm. That man does kind of look like Elvis. I don't think it's Elvis, though. Um. So to end this... This uh this episode that is really, really long and I'm losing my voice. I feel like over the years, Elvis has kind of become like this cartoon caricature of a, a bloated man singing endlessly on a Vegas stage when he was so much more than that. He just got kind of trapped in Vegas show hell. Um, he is a performer that changed music forever. And really, if he had not existed, I don't know what modern music would have looked like. That's a good point. And that is... How long was that? You're at an hour and 30. My throat hurts. I bet. We're not drinking tonight, but Mia looks like a martini glass, so that's going to have to count. Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Good Pods. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shielrocky.com. There you'll find social, show notes, contact us, and our merch. Other than that, don't do drugs. And me as a hound dog, you got anything to say? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>